0: So 1 Peter 3, 1 to 7. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles, and the wearing of gold jewellery or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord, You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers.
1: Well, thank you, Amber. Chapel Lane, good evening. Uh, great to be with you. Some new people in the room tonight, a particular welcome to you. What a night you've joined us for. Um, we're so thankful that you have uh, come. Friends, let's be honest. At the very start, we hear this read by Amber just then, and I think we think, okay, there's some complexity here, and there is. I love that we get to sit under God's Word together. I love that we get to dive into the complexity and beauty of God's Word together. We're going to do that tonight. Can I say uh, from the very outset that as you heard that read by Amber just then, you might have heard some things that you found personally difficult. Uh, To you, I want to say, stay with us. There are great words of real hope in this passage for all of us tonight. Let me. uh, I want to let you know that tonight's going to be different in a couple of ways. After our sermon, instead of having Q&C, we're actually going to have a panel uh, with a couple of other speakers for an extended time. Now, the reason for that, chaplain, is because today we come to this very important yet really tricky passage. Uh, It's a passage that continues what we saw last week with Tim Schooler, if you remember. Uh, Peter's instruction to churches in regards to how they're to live as God's people uh, in a culture and in a society where God is ignored and rejected. Okay, so that's where it's flowing on from. Now, last week we saw with Tim how God's people are to live in regards to secular authorities, uh, but also he then addressed last week how Christian slaves were to consider their lives under their masters and for the Lord as well. Well, in today's section, um, Peter helps Christian wives and Christian husbands know how to live in their marriages in God-honouring ways. The reason that we're dealing with this passage differently tonight is because this passage is one that has been used by some people to justify domestic abuse within some Christian marriages. Okay? There are some people who have tried to take this passage and twist it and use it as biblical warrant for the way they have abhorrently treated their spouses, generally their wives. So one of the people who's going to be on our panel today will be Kara Hartley. Cara, with her husband Brett, are members of our 8.30am service here at Norwest. Kara is also the Archdeacon for Women's Ministry in the Diocese of Sydney. In addition to this, Cara is the co-chair of the Domestic Violence Monitoring Committee for the Diocese of Sydney. Now, the other unique thing about this passage is that it has specific instructions for a specific, very specific group of women That's women who find themselves married to men who are not Christian. Okay, first century, uh, their husbands are probably pagans um, and uh, the wives have turned to Christ, but the husbands haven't. The question there is, how do women in this context, married to husbands who don't share their faith, how do they live? How do they love their husbands on the one hand, yet serve Jesus on the other? It's a really complex area for them. So also on our panel tonight is Lauren Schooler. Uh, a member of our own chapel lane service and someone who has wrestled with this topic uh, in her own marriage, uh, despite the fact that Tim is a believer. So, um, <laughs> Friends, we're going to need God's grace tonight as always. Will you pray with me, please? Good and gracious Heavenly Father, will you help every one of us tonight grow in our love for you grow in our trust of your word and help us see that everything you say is for our good. Minister to us, Father, tonight, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, uh, friends, I really need you to have Bibles open. I'm going to be moving a bit from chapter 3 back to chapters 2 and I just want you to see this really clearly. It's so important. Let's start in verse 1 of chapter 3. Wives, in the same way, submit. Can you see these first six words? Wives, this is who the section is written to. In the same way. Now that raises an immediate question for us all. In the same way as what? Well, that question is so critical for us tonight, we're going to leave it for now we're going to come back to it okay and then we'll think it through so i want to pull that phrase out and now it reads wives submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives now before we dive in i do need to speak to you about the structure of what we're seeing here tonight it's just so important for understanding this rightly the word submit comes up for the first time in 1 Peter 2 verse 13, where, please notice, every single one of us is told to submit. And it says there, submit to every human creature because of the Lord. Okay, please notice that all people are called to submit. And submit is such an important word because it tells those of us who love God's word how to act in the various relationships that we find ourselves in. Now, it's really important that that's back in chapter 2 verse 13 because chapter 2 verse 13 starts a key section for us that helps us understand everything that now flows. Okay, Put simply, having a look at your Bibles, verses 13 to 17 uh, controls all that comes. Verses 13 to 17 is all about how Christians are to live in a non-Christian world and in the complex relationships that we find ourselves in. I'll say it again. It's so important. Verses 13 to 17 is all about how Christians are to live in a non-Christian world and in the complex relationships that we find ourselves in. Well, what sort of complex relationships? Have a look. 13 and 14, complex relationships with the political authorities. 18 to 21, complex relationships of the household and commerce. This is the slaves' master's piece. Chapter 3, 1 to 7 complex relationships of Christian women being married to non-Christian husbands. And then in chapter 5, verse 5 to 9, complex relationships within the church and to do with church leadership. And guiding everything we read here is verse 17. Verse 17. It flows on from that section at 13. 13, submit to everyone. That is the shape of human relational life is the shape of submission. That is God has set up ordered human relationships. And then verse 17 tells us what that looks like. It says, show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. Now, when you break verse 17 down, there's really two instructions in there, and it is this two ideas honor everyone, fear God. So, Chaplain, here's what I want you to know that in everything that we now read, these two ideas are the answer to it all. They are the answer for any complex relationship you will find yourself in in this world as a Christian. So, your boss isn't a Christian. Honor everyone, fear God. Your friends at school think you're a loser for trusting in Jesus. Honor everyone, fear God. You're married to someone who does not share your faith in Christ. Honor everyone, fear God. Of course, there's a problem here, right? There's this tension. How do you honour everyone and fear God? So your boss asks you to cheat on a form. How do you honour your boss and fear God at the same time? Or your friends want you to get drunk with them at a party. How do you honour your friends while at the same time fearing God? Well, friends, verses 1 to 6 of chapter 3 are Peter's instructions to wives to help them in their very tricky situation. When they're married to non-Christians. Keep this in mind. You may not have known this. Wives in the first century were not free to choose their own religion. They would be automatically expected to follow the beliefs of their husbands. Talk about complex. Talk about tricky. So how do they live like that? Verse 1. Wives, submit to your husbands. Now, can I just say, this is just one of those passages where at almost every turn, The cultural waves in which we swim slap up against this part of the Bible. If you're feeling uncomfortable, this is just the start. There's more coming. Now, we hear this word submit, and we find this very hard to hear the word. We are not people who like to submit, like full stop. I don't like it. And there's lots of error for us when we hear this word or read it in the Bible, because mainly... The way we mainly hear this as modern hearers is we hear this word submit to mean obey orders or follow directives or do what I say. It does not mean that. What submit means in 1 Peter is to voluntarily place yourself in an ordered relationship to voluntarily place yourself in an ordered relationship, which means to submit is actually not about behaviour. It's about one's heart. It's a desire to live a particular way. And Peter says here to Christian wives married to non-Christian men, the way you fear God is by choosing to be married according to the ordering that God has designed. Now, men, notice this. This is not written to you. Peter is writing to wives here. He's saying, wives, in this world, in the complexity of relationships you are in, honour God by choosing voluntarily, willingly to place yourself in ordered relationships. So in 1 Peter 3 verse 1, the picture being painted is of a Christian wife voluntarily choosing herself and freely to live within God's order of marriage. There is no hint of her being forced to do it at all. Now, why do that? Why would a Christian wife choose to do that? Peter then says that your unbelieving husband, who you love, presumably, may well be won over by the quality of your life, your purity in life and your reverence for God. And I just want to say that I think that this is a very helpful verse for wives in this situation because I think this takes pressure off wives who are married to men who do not follow Christ. I think it takes the pressure off wives to feel like they have to keep sharing the gospel, have to keep talking about Jesus, have to keep pointing their husbands uh, to the king of the world. Peter is saying, don't do that. Don't do that. That's not going to go well for you. And if you're someone who is married in that situation, you know how unhelpful that would be. We had someone on the panel earlier today say that would not work. So what can Christian wives do? Well, there's hope here. This is verse 2. As your husbands see your purity and reverence to God, they may well be won over by the quality of your life lived. Now, remember, this all fits under this guiding principle uh, or guiding verse of 2.17. Honour everyone and fear God. Honour your husband and fear God. So the way you fear God, serve God, is by voluntarily arranging yourself in the order of marriage that God's created. The way you honour your husband is what comes next. It's verse 3. Have a look at that. See, we read verse 3 as old-fashioned fashion advice for women. First century fashion advice for women. No fancy clothes, no jewellery, no big hair. That is not what it's saying. This is all about honouring or respecting your husband and how to do that. See, what Peter is saying here to Christian wives who want to fear God but who also want to honour their husbands, he's saying to them, Listen, don't dress in a way that is deliberately designed to gain the attention or affection of other men. Don't dress like that. That wouldn't honour your husband. That would actually dishonour your husband. Peter says that's not the sort of beauty you want to go after. That's what the world says, but it's not for you. Peter says there is a better beauty, and it's in verse 4. It's the beauty of who you are as a person a gentle and quiet spirit. That's what God values. Now, again, the ways of our culture slap up against this part of the Bible. I don't think we like this because there'll be some women in the room who say, well, hang on, what if I've got a big personality? There might be some guys in the room saying, well, what if I'm a quieter guy? Why do women have to be gentle and quiet but men don't? Excellent questions. Two things to note on that. Firstly, uh, the better translation here is probably gentle and peaceful. Not quiet. A gentle and peaceful spirit. Quiet makes us think here that women should not speak, which is patently incorrect. Secondly, it is worth pointing out that this is not a gendered statement. A very similar instruction is given to both men and women in 1 Timothy 2 verse 2 and in Matthew 5 verse 5. All of God's people are to be gentle and peaceful that is true beauty for every one of us that is of great value to god i want us to jump now to verse 7 have a look at that peter now talks to husbands about how they are to live and love their wives remember the guiding verse here verse 17 honor your wife on everyone and fear god and he says husbands be considerate and respectful of your wives now can i just point something out here which you may or may not know it is remarkable and revolutionary that you are holding a document from the first century where a man writes to another man to tell him to love and care for a woman. Good luck finding another one. There's a few more in the Bible. Good luck finding them outside of that. This is the idea, Peter is writing here to Christian husbands now, Uh, And he's saying to Christian husbands, you ought to show a loving care for your wives. Now, why is that? Two reasons are given. Firstly, we're told that wives are the weaker partner. Feel those waves continue to smash up against us? Another area of a huge misunderstanding. This simply refers to women being less physically strong as men, and then it incorporates all the social realities linked to that biological fact. The greater vulnerability women are at during pregnancy uh, or when raising children. The risk that women are at of being physically overpowered by someone, even their husbands. The instruction husbands show loving care for your wives. Why? Because you are to respect them in your greater physical strength. But there's a second reason why husbands should be considerate and respectful. I love this here. It is because your wife is your equal in every way. Here, equally heirs with you in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And husband, says Peter, if you do not treat your wives like this, you jeopardise your very relationship with God himself. God's ease may well be blocked to the man who is not considerate and respectful of his wife. Now, one of the things I said at the beginning today was that this passage is one that has been used by some to justify domestic abuse within some Christian marriages despite it saying the opposite. I now want to show you how that is done by some so you never sit under that without speaking up. Okay? Let's go back to the first six words. Wives, in the same way, submit. That forces us to ask the question, in the same way as what? And this is where the passage has been horribly twisted. Can you look now at chapter 2, verse 18? Okay, we saw this last week. Slaves, it says, submit yourselves to your earthly masters, verse 19. It is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of suffering, verse 20. But if you suffer, that is commendable to this you are called. And there are some people who have taken this verse to argue that wives should endure domestic violence. So wives, here's the argument, wives, in the same way, chapter 3, verse 1, in the same way as slaves put up with abuse from masters, so should you. Now, of course, it won't be preached like that. It will come across as softer from either an abuser or a minister who's teaching this improperly. So it might sound more like this. Don't go to the police. The church can handle this. Or, let's pray about how not to provoke him. Or, he's a good man, he's trying. Or, you've made promises, you have to keep your marriage vows. Or, don't you know, Christians forgive? Can you see how critical it is to handle God's word carefully? What we have seen today in this passage is that it says nothing like any of that. In fact, it says the opposite because we need to understand that what drives the in the same way of, chapter, of verse 1 in chapter 3 is not the instruction to slaves in chapter 2, but what comes before it in chapter 2 that instructs all people everywhere. Uh, uh, that, that section in chapter 2 where we're all told how to live in complex relational situations. Verse 17, honour everyone and fear God. Chaplain, I have to say, I don't enjoy doing this tonight, but it's necessary that I do. Uh, I'm going to finish by talking to us and addressing domestic violence and how we think about this here at Northwest Anglican. Uh, we all know, uh, we should know, that domestic violence is a scourge in our broader community. Underreported, almost certainly occurring in homes around us, and if you speak to local police, they will almost always say, you have no idea, what goes on in your street. I wonder, though, if we think it's different in the church. It's different in God's house. It's different for people who love God's word. However, research done by the Anglican Church of Australia in regards to domestic violence has found that church attendance in Anglican churches does not immunise you from either being an abuser or a victim. My point is that we would be foolish to believe that this does not happen or exist within our own church community. The fact is, we know it does. In no place, in no way, and at no time does the Bible ever call for, condone or justify domestic violence and family violence. It is a tragedy that blights marriages and children and churches in our community. Now, let me be explicit for a moment. What might domestic violence look like? If someone controls access, your access to money, that is financial abuse. If someone misuses scripture to punish or control you, that's spiritual abuse. If someone controls who you can see and when, that is social isolation. If someone consistently belittles or blames you, that is verbal and emotional abuse. If someone threatens to harm you, your children or your pets, that's psychological abuse. If someone physically harms or injures you, that's physical abuse. If someone forces you to do sexual acts without consent, that is sexual abuse. If someone uses technology to stalk, harass or embarrass you, that is digital abuse. And we have a zero tolerance for any domestic or family abuse and no person is ever to submit to that form of behaviour. Here at Norwest Anglican, we take this so seriously and we believe that God's church has to be a safe place of hope and life for all who come. And as a church, actually as part of what it means to love one another, we need to work harder in this area to make our church as safe a church as possible. To that end, nine months ago, we put a position statement up on our website in regards to domestic and family violence here at Norwest and our approach to that. You might want to read that in your own time. Last term, our youth spent two nights considering domestic and family violence and were given resources, and a number of you will have been present for that. Next year, we have a specialist in domestic and family violence coming in to train all our community group leaders, uh, all our youth and kids leaders, all our staff, all our elected representatives, and anyone else who wants to come along to that. And here's what we know that's not enough. Because the final piece to all of this is that this has to be a place where people feel safe enough to talk and disclose and to know that they will be believed and cared for. So I say to you that if you are undergoing any form of domestic abuse and if you come and speak to any of the pastoral team, we will believe you. If you support an abused person, we are here to support you. If you are an abuser, please speak to me or Jody, so we can start to bring light and life into a situation that is causing yourself and others great grief and pain. Now, recent research has shown that 88% of survivors of domestic violence in Anglican churches, 88%, did not feel comfortable speaking to someone in their church leadership about it. For that reason, tomorrow an email is being sent to the whole church, with resources and next steps and helpful information to support those either being abused, supporting an abused person, uh, or who may be an abuser themselves. I do want to let you know that if you'd like to speak to Jodie Jessup, our women's pastor, she'll be up the back in the uh, family room, and I'm going to be down the front here. If any, anyone can come and speak to me as well. Now, before we head to our panel, I just want to show you one more thing, and it's verse 6. Can you have a look at that? Verse 6. Verse 6 is this passage about Sarah and how she voluntarily chooses to order her marriage to Abraham, which is, you know, I love this because there's just so many... She just doesn't do that in really key ways in the Old Testament and then she does. So I love that she's put up as a model. Um, But then it says, You are her daughters if you do what is right. This is talking to wives here. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Domestic violence thrives in contexts of fear. Submission never means allowing wickedness to occur. And in cases of domestic and family violence, it is right right—it is right to speak up and to say this is not okay. This is not okay. Men and women here, brothers and sisters, do not give way to fear. Do not submit to that. Let me pray. Good and gracious, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that we're able to sit under it. We are um, saddened by the need to speak about this and we do not feel equal to the task of engaging with it in many ways. Father, we ask for your help. Help us to think clearly, wisely, helpfully. Father, will you comfort us, particularly those for whom right now this is a pain and a grief. And help us know of the comfort that can be found in better days ahead and in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, will you lead us, both individually and as a church, as we long to be a community that is safe, and actually points to the great hope and the new life found in Jesus and Jesus alone. Father, we pray all this in Jesus' name.
0: Amen.